All right. You guys with me? This is a good Sunday. If you have the Bible, let's open up to the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians. We're going to be in chapter 6. We are in the home stretch with Ephesians. We started it earlier this winter. We're in the final section of Ephesians where Paul is essentially putting the punctuation onto his entire argument, the, this, this last push to kind of take home and get home what he has been trying to say. This is less than a, more than a period on the end of this. This is going to be an exclamation point, the way he's going to describe the end of this. And we're going to actually spend two Sundays, this Sunday as well as next Sunday, looking at the entirety of this passage, Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. Today we're only doing the first four verses, and then next week we will actually take up the armor and talk about those, the weapons that God has provided for his believers. And so Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10, I'm going to reread it again as Jim has already done, and we can say a few things about it. So let me just, um, let me reread this, okay? It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. All right, let's stop there. There's a few comments I want to make about this passage, okay? Um, and if we can capture Paul's heart, we have to, and keeping in mind, this is his attempt to sum up the entirety of what he has done in the book of Ephesians, going from chapter 1, talking about identity and who you are in Christ, to chapter 2, talking about the nature of salvation. In chapter 3, the salvation is not just for the insiders, it's for the outsiders, it's for those who are far off. And then in chapter 4, talking about how then should we walk? We should walk in a manner worthy. And then chapter 5, he continues with this idea of walking. And the second half of the book is a lot about walking. Today we're going to see that there's a lot, if we've, if we've been our identity in Christ, where we're seated with Christ, our walk with Christ, today we are going to stand with Christ, armed, ready to take on whatever may come. And so today, I want to say a few things about Paul's idea about how we stand and what God has given to us in order that we would, all right? So the first thing that I just want to note is this question, what is the problem? If you were living in Ephesus in the first century, what was the problem? If you're living in Orange in the 21st century, what is the problem? And here is the problem. You are in a situation in which forces that you cannot see are working against your well-being. Let me say that again. And you're like, look, Craig, I, I, I watch cable news. I know that's true. Look, put that aside, okay? We're talking about something, something related but different. That there are forces in this world that you cannot see that are working against your well-being. And if you've been following along with this series, back in chapter 2, the Apostle Paul talked about this former manner of life that you had and that you walked in, and he kind of laid out this, what we call this interlocking directorate of fallen, of fallen forces, of dark forces in this world. And when something goes wrong in our lives, sometimes we have very simplistic answers, like that happened because of this. But for Paul, you have this, this somewhat complex idea of what has gone wrong, and there's this interlocking directorate of things that have gone wrong. And he talks about, in chapter 2 and in verse 1, he talks about an overall corrupted cosmos 
that there is a, there's a, if, if you look at, at science, we'll talk about like the second law of thermodynamics, that everything is spinning down. Like if you spin a top, right, it'll eventually lose its momentum and fall over. That things are, things are losing their momentum, that objects that are not in motion, will not, they won't move if they, if, without that. If, and things that are in motion will come to a stop. That there's, a, there's a, a coming down, a corruption of this overall world, an overall fallenness. Paul talks in, or in Romans chapter 8 about our, the creation is groaning. That there's a fallenness. This is after the fall of Adam and Eve. But he goes on to say that not only is there a fallenness, an overall fallenness of this world, but he goes on to say that, there, that you've walked according to the way of the prince of the power of the air. And this idea that Paul is saying not only is there a corrupted cosmos out there, but there are actually personal evil demons, devils, the sa- Satan, something, whatever that is. There are personal forces that are out there, evil forces that are out there that are, that, are, that are co-opting this overall corruption and sending it down a path of destruction intentionally. There's a corrupted cosmos, but there's also the, this prince of the power of the air. There are personal evil spirits out there. And that these personal evil spirits have also co-opted not only the, the fallenness of the world, but they've also co-opted Humans that are disobedient to God, and and Paul calls them the sons of disobedience. That there are rulers and there are people out there that are actively working against the kingdom of God. They're trying to establish the kingdom of man, and they're working against the kingdom of God. So you have a corrupted cosmos, personal evil spirits, humans and human rulers, and then just before we're like, yeah, all those bad people out there, Paul says also, hey, you're involved in this too. You've got a corrupted, fallen flesh. Some translations call it a sinful nature, but we are not born just floating towards righteousness. We're not born with like, if we don't do anything, we're just going to end up righteous. Like, no, if we don't do anything, we are going to get caught in the stream. We're going to get caught in the stream of the way of this world. And this idea that there is, we have fallen inclinations, Fallen inclinations that left to our own devices, we would probably choose, we would choose the worst of the options. And so a corrupted cosmos, personal evil spirits, humans and human rulers, the sons of disobedience, of which we might have become, and then you also have these acts of personal sin. And you might have experienced that if somebody has sinned against you. You've experienced the fallenness of this world, and you've experienced what happens when when someone sins. If you've committed a wrong against somebody else, you've perpetrated that, and you've actually continued the fall of this world. That there is, and again, why why does anything go wrong in our world? It's not a simplistic answer. It's all of those things. Did that person do it to me? Yes, they did. They were probably influenced by evil, evil forces, a corrupt cosmos, but they made the decision on their own, too. When you fall, when you are tempted and you fall into temptation, there's all kinds of things. But the thing is, there's, there's human responsibility to it. And so there's this interlocking directorate of dark forces in this world. And Paul points this out in chapter 2. And he says, don't walk any longer in that way. Your salvation is going to be about untangling you from that web. Let me say that again. Your salvation, Jesus is going to pay for it with his blood, and it's going to be accomplished. But right now, you and I are in the process of getting untangled 
from the web of this interlocking directorate that sometimes we know we're in and sometimes we don't know we're in. And we're in this web. And so at the end of the book, Paul is going to say, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers, this directorate. And so when things go wrong, we note this directorate has something to do with this. There's no simplistic explanations. And so this is true. There's spiritual forces behind the scenes that are pressing for your ill and for my ill, for the destruction, not the building, not for human thriving, but for human suffering. And this was true in Paul's day, it's true in ours. And so what I want to do is I just want to talk a little bit about the nature of this and what's going on here, how it might have been experienced in the first century, and then to ask the question, what do we do? How, are we go- how do we respond to this sort of a thing? Even this idea about what do I think about invisible spirits around me working for my ill? How do I deal with this? Surely we're in the 21st century in the Western world. Like, there, there's a little bit of like, hey, maybe some things have been pulled over our eyes. So, here we go, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Let's just talk about that phrase, the schemes of the devil. The word devil is the word diabolos. We get our word diabolical from that word. Diabolos is the devil. It literally means the slanderer, the slanderer. The devil is mentioned back in chapter 4, verse 27, where it talks about when you're angry, don't sin, don't give the diabolos, don't give the devil a foothold or a place. Don't give up ground to the adversary, to the slanderer. And then it goes on, so in this passage it talks about um, the devil later on in 616 will be the evil one who's shooting flaming darts. And here in our passage, this adversary employs what are called schemes. You might have a different translation of that if you're reading something other than the ESV, but schemes, the devil not only has supernatural power, okay, but also uses schemes, or actually this word methodeus, we get our word method from it. He, he employs many methods in doing what he wants to do. And here the idea is that the devil plans attacks that are constantly repeated, but shifting in their strategies. This term is a, it's a really interesting term in the ancient world, that this, this, I, this word methodeia is the idea of constant, but also of changing tactics. And Paul is going to say, what I want you to do is I want you to be able to stand against the schemes, the methods of the devil. And as we think about this, that the methods of what the devil does, there's probably a lot that we could, we could talk about, but ranging from the idea of external temptation, oftentimes temptation comes to us externally, outside of us. Other times temptation comes internally, like we're responsible for our own temptation that come internally, right? But the devil can put things in our path or in our, not necessarily in our mind, I guess it is... It is interesting, you think about can, can the devil work in our minds, and you have to look, you look back at like Jesus and the temptations in the wilderness, if Jesus has these kind of visionary experiences 
because of the devil, I think that there's probably some way that there are times when the devil can put things into our minds, depending on how open we have become to what he's trying to do, there is a degree in which how much we resist and how much we engage. But even Jesus, who is ultimately resisting in the temptation accounts, the devil is able to bring things to his mind, and he resists in that case. This is obviously something that's a little bit controversial, like how much can we be affected by the devil? And I guess one thing to note is that Paul starts by saying, hey, look, you got to be, you got to put on, you got to be empowered. You got to stand in the strength of the might of God. Like, why would Paul say that if we didn't need it? Right? And so as we think about what the schemes of the devil can do, that the devil might not come at the, with the same thing. He might come with the same thing over and over, but because of this word, it implies that there's a variety of things, and he's smart. There's a smartness to it. I guess even as I say he, I was reading a commentary this week, and they called the devil it, which I think is a much better way of not giving the devil dignity. It, the devil, has all kinds of ways of approaching you and might vary those attacks. That's the idea here. In 427, Paul urges not to give a place, not to give a foothold, you might have called, but really this idea, don't give up ground to the devil. And he goes on to talk about um, avoiding uncontrolled anger, giving up falsehood, stealing other characteristics of the old self. Um, at the same time, what other, these, these things, these schemes, this idea, the word, if, 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 say, or, sorry, if the devil, diabolos, means uh, slanderer, the word Satan, which is another word that we might use for this presence, this evil presence, the devil or Satan, Satan means the accuser. And if you think about what sort of tools does the devil or Satan have in his, in his tool belt or his weaponry, right off the bat, this idea that one of the things that, that the devil will do is slander and accuse Slander and accuse. In, in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 12 talks about the accuser stands before God's throne and accuses the saints day and night. Stands before God's throne. I mean, what a, what a piece of work, right? In God's throne, he stands before God's throne and he accuses day and night. And the author, the author of, of Revelation says, but they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and they did not love their lives even to death. This idea that the accusations, slander, accusation, these are things, these are stock schemes of the devil. But, and that's probably why the Apostle Paul spent so much time with this idea, you have been adopted. You have been purchased by the blood of Jesus. You have an inheritance in heaven. This happened before the foundations of the world. Do you know who you are? Because your enemy is an accuser and a slanderer. Heard a great story yesterday. Our friends, um, Dan and Crystal, and they bought this. Uh, they, I won't go into the whole thing, but they bought this oven from uh, this guy out in, uh, well, it's out in the 909. I can't even remember. Murrieta, let's just say that. Um, and uh, he was, they got to talking, and um, he, they saw, they go to Harvest Christian Fellowship. They have a sticker, and the guy said, 
so grateful, like he liked Greg Glory, but he was Catholic, and, and my friend Crystal was like, one thing I really love about the Catholic Church is how much they stand up for um, the right to life and, and all that, and the man, and on the spot, the man said, you know, I actually, in my lifetime, have been involved in, um, in some abortions, and, um, and he was, he was despondent, he was gu- guilty, and my friend Crystal said, she stands up right there. Like, this, is a, this is like a Craigslist transaction, right? And she says, the Lord forgives. And he's all, yeah, I know, I know. She goes, no, 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 no. The Lord forgives. And he's like, yeah, I know. She's all, no, you got to understand. The Lord forgives. She's all, I'm not leaving here until you understand that the Lord forgives. Like, this is Craigslist for the kingdom of God, right? And this is the idea that that we need to understand who we are in Christ so that we can get beyond the schemes of the devil, the accusations of the accuser, and the slander of the slanderer. And that's why Paul spends so much time on identity in Christ, because he understands that's one of the key things of resisting the devil, all right, that, look, I'm getting pumped up, but this is, it's so important. Otherwise, we could just, one of the most, one of the things that the devil can do, the devil might not come right at you, like the devil's smarter than that. He might just keep you guilty enough not to engage. Just guilty enough. He's like, I don't need to get them despondent, I just need to get them paralyzed. And you gotta know, You've been adopted, you're deeply loved, that what Connor said up here, when you come here, no matter how forgetful you've been of God all week, he rejoices that you come. This is what our salvation is. The doors are open to God, his arms are open, he wants to work in your life, and when you give him any opportunity to work in your life, he will come quickly. You understand that, and you can extinguish the darts of the devil by employing your identity in Christ. The tactics of the devil are constant and constantly varying. The second thing that Paul wants them to know is that not only is it constant and constantly varying, but the the, the agents under his charge are many. Look at 6.12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, why does Paul mention so many? Some people have um, kind of speculate a little bit here that Paul is actually giving some sense of like the demonic uh, hierarchy, that there's rulers and authorities and da 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 like and I, you, you, if you read some of these books, it's like there's 30 different levels of all this. And I'm, like, I'm here to say, we don't know that. that is, look, that is, that is, at some point, you've got to know how comfortable you are with speculation when you read the Bible, right? I'm not that comfortable with speculation. I think the point that Paul's trying to make is not that there's different levels or orders. He's just trying to say there's a lot of forces out there that are working against you. And if you were in the city of Ephesus, this would not have been new knowledge to them. 
This idea of rulers, authorities, cosmic powers of this present darkness, this is a rhetorical device to show the vastness of the powers of this age. If you go back to 121, he does it before in chapter 1. He talks about after Jesus is raised from the dead, that he's raised above all rule and authority and power and dominion. It's not that those are levels. Paul's just saying any authority that's out there in the spiritual realm, there's lots of authority out there in the spiritual realm, but where is Jesus in all of that? Oh, he's up here. Whatever authority you can think of in the spiritual realm, Jesus is above. Let me just say that again. Whatever authority, whatever power you can think of, whatever horror movie you can think of, whatever, whatever power or authority that is out there in this world, Jesus is above. Okay? We, we have to know that. Not only do we have to know our identity, we need to know that. Jesus is above all rule and authority, power, dominion, whether it's the cosmic forces of this present darkness or whether it's the, the spiritual rulers of, of evil. And what are these things? Most likely demonic beings. That's what we're looking at. Um, the Ephesians, and if you were in, in Ephesus, you were inundated. We looked at this, you guys remember back in our Acts when Paul gets to Ephesians, or he goes to Ephesus? This is Acts chapter 19. And like, it's all weird. There's like Jewish exorcists and people are burning magic books. And it's like, it's weird. It's super weird stuff. And the reason why is in the city of Ephesus and in that region, that seven churches region, that Ephesus was actually a hub for magical practices. Now, let me explain what magic is. We're not talking about like David Copperfield, right? This is not like sleight of hand stuff. Magic in kind of an intercultural studies approach is this idea that of saying certain things or using certain elements to manipulate the spiritual world. It's this, magic is the idea of being able to control the spiritual world or the invocation of spiritual forces. And it was this idea that you had problems in your everyday life and if you knew the right spell or the right incantation or had the right amulet or had the right thing in your pocket that you could ward off evil spirits and you could summon spirits to help you in your situation or worse yet, you could summon spirits to like take out your rivals. And so there were whole books that are written about how to do this, how to say the words, to say the exact right words to get some kind of spell cast on your rival. And Ephesus was a hub for this sort of thing. Kind of like if you think about, you know, you're like, well, that's kind of weird, but like if you go to like Sedona, Arizona, and it's like, it's like a hub for like new agey sorts of things. And there are different places where you might go that are known as places where you can get this sort of material. Ephesus was one of those places. If you only knew the right words, had access to the right places, had possession of the right amulets and tokens, this was a major industry in Ephesus. And when he goes there, the gospel goes, Paul heals, you remember the story? Paul heals someone in the name of Jesus. And then people who don't believe in Jesus, these Jewish exorcists, they're like, hey, we're going to use that incantation to take out this demon. And the demon's like, hey, I know, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? And he like beats them up and they run away naked in the street. It's this kind of comic relief in the middle of all this. But the point is that the gospel, the power of God is not magic. The power of God is not just out there to manipulate. It's not yours to say. Like when we pray, we're not praying to manipulate the spiritual world. 
We're praying that God would act of his own will and his own compassion and his own love for us, not because we've manipulated, because God is, God is not waiting for us to pray. He will actually, his power is not like magical power. And when the gospel takes root there, magicians renounce their practices. If you remember in Acts chapter 19, they, they gather up all these materials. People, magicians have renounced these materials and they take these magical books and they like get rid of them, they burn them. And in this passage, Paul is giving a nod to these spiritual forces that can be enlisted. He calls them out. He's not, these are not helpful spirits. These are scheming spirits. These are spirits that using them will enslave you to them. They're out there. They're not friendly. They're deceptive. And the power of God is a whole different category. Clint Arnold writes about what he thinks is going on in this passage. He says, many converts were streaming into churches Converts who were formerly affiliated with the Artemis cult, practiced magic, consulted astrologers, participated in various mysteries, and underlying the former beliefs and manner of life, all of these converts, there was a, co- a common and deep-set fear of demonic powers. And what Paul is doing here is he is giving them, in this book as well as in this passage, he's giving them the tools of fighting against these particular forces of evil that maybe people used to rely on, maybe people still had attachment to, but now Paul is saying, look, we, our battle is not against people, it's against these forces of evil. They will scheme against you, they will enslave you, but you can stand against them. These are not spiritual forces to be enlisted, these are powers of darkness and our spiritual forces of evil. So what do we do? What do we do in a world like this? Well, in a word, what we do is we wrestle. Let's wrestle, right? That's the word he uses. He actually uses a word that is never used in the New Testament or the Old Testament in Greek. He could have said we battle against them, or he could have said that we struggle against them. What he says is he uses this word pale, which is the word for wrestling. He says, when we wrestle, 6.12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against the rulers and authorities. This term for wrestle is kind of an interesting thing because in Ephesus and in that region, one of the big things, these, the Isthmian games in, in uh uh, in, in Greece, as well as the Ephesus games, they would hold these, these games, and one, the biggest event that everybody loved was wrestling. You're like, we still love wrestling today, Pastor Craig. Like, who, who out there hasn't spent a little time watching the WWE? Okay, I, you look, I'm, I see those hands, and I have done much of my junior high school life has been spent in front of the TV watching Jimmy Superfly Snuka and Hulk Hogan, okay? Thank you very much, Okay. That's not what he's talking about. He's talk, but the idea is that in Ephesus, they actually had plaques and inscriptions. You can go see them today where they like honor their great wrestlers. And so what Paul is saying is, hey, look, what you need to understand is that, now he's going to use a lot of imagery of warfare, right? That's going to come, that's going to come later. But I think what he really wants you to understand is that you have been placed into an arena where you are supposed to wrestle. 
And if you're like, look, I don't feel like wrestling, it doesn't matter. If you don't feel like wrestling, the other person feels like wrestling and they're going to wrestle you. And so the idea is, look, you are, we are wrestling here. And if you're like, I don't want to wrestle, you're going down. You're going to find yourself immobilized. If you're not ready, if, you don't, if you're not ready to go, doesn't matter if you want to or not. You have been placed into the games. It's like, may the, may the odds be ever in your favor, right? This is like the Hunger Games or whatever. Like, I didn't want to go, but here I am. And the idea is that you've got to be ready. Hunger, just for those of you who didn't know, I, I'll explain the reference later. Okay. All right. So we're in this, we're in this kind of wrestling guerrilla warfare that's not so overt and like we've got to figure out what we're going to do if we're in a wrestling match. So what are we going to do? First thing is this. You got to know your enemy. And here's the deal. If we look in chapter 6 and look at verse 11, It says, put on your whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Here's the first thing. I just want to um, to, to everybody and reiterate it. I might have said it before. Um, But our battle, our battle in here is not against human beings. It's not against people. It's not against your rival. It's not against your opponent or your political opponent or your next-door neighbor. It's not against human beings. And this is important because we live in one of the most politically contentious times in our nation's history. Maybe not the worst. I mean, you you read U.S. history, there's a lot worse that could go on, okay? But we are in a very, a, a very politically divided time, and there is a tendency to treat your opponent as if they are not human. This last week, I was reading about Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Many of you know him as a as a novelist. He was arrested in um, in early Soviet Russia. He was arrested for writing a personal letter in which he criticized Joseph Stalin. A personal letter. It was found. He was arrested. He was sent off to Siberia to a gulag where he did hard labor for eight years. He was then exiled for three more years in enforced exile. He ended up living, uh, coming out of that, living within Russia. Um, he wrote a novel, was going to receive the Nobel Peace Prize, but didn't want to go out of the country because he feared he wouldn't be able to get back in. He was later exiled out of the country. This is a man who lived under torture, hard labor. And when people asked him, like, well, aren't those people evil? And he said, it would be simple if they were. And he wrote this. He said, the line separating good and evil passes not through states or between classes or between political parties either, but right through the middle of every human heart. 
That is to say, that line of good and evil, and I think this is pretty good theology to a certain degree, is this idea that, look, the line of good and evil passes right through your heart. Left to yourself, you might lean toward evil. Like you might, you, the, he, what he says is this. He, it's better to just let him say it. Even within hearts overwhelmed by evil, one small bridgehead of good is retained. And even in the best of all hearts, there remains an uprooted small corner of evil. And he gets to this idea that every human being has fallen. Every human being bears the image of God, but has fallen. And every human being, there's a, there are days where we live up to the image of God, and there are days where we live up to being fallen, right? And right down the middle of every human heart, every human heart that you see on cable news, every human heart that you see in politics, every human heart in our society, every human heart in prison, there is always a glimmer left of the image of God. It is so enduring. I cannot believe how much God has so embedded the image of God in every human being that no matter what you do, you will never be able to get the image of God out of you. It's stubborn, He has built it deep into your heart. And as much as you walk away, and as much as you might want to even lose your humanity, or you see people losing their humanity, the image of God remains. It will never, ever, ever be snuffed out. And this is why we always hold out hope. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. It would be easy if it were, because then we just line up all the evil people and all the good people, and then we take out all the evil people. Here's the problem. That's the way politics is going today. You're all evil over here. We're just going to get, we're going to do whatever we want to do with you by any means necessary. By any means necessary is not a Christian way of going about solving problems. It is not simple to just separate everybody into good and evil because the line of good and evil is right down the middle of your heart. And every human being And Paul makes it clear, your battle, Ephesians, like there are people who hate you, there are people who would rather see you die, your battle is not against them. Your battle is not against them. This is a battle for them, for their hearts. The gospel is for them. The gospel is for those who are far off. Your battle is not against those who are far off. Your battle is for those who are far off. Your battle is not against flesh and blood. How easy is it for us to simply boil it all down? That person is evil. That person is wrong. I can do whatever I want to them because they deserve it. That is not your battle. God will take care of that. There's lots of things that God will take care of. It's also interesting that he doesn't say your battle is against the corrupt cosmos. Like God will take care of that too, right? Like the whole creation is groaning. God will take care of that eventually. Your battle's not against that. It's not against humans. Your battle is against the rulers and authorities, the world forces of darkness, the spiritual forces of evil. And when he says this, your battle is not against a human being. It's against these spiritual forces. And therefore, it's not like in the wrestling arena, like you can just grab a wrist and pull the arm around and like if we can just get the right technique, we can like take him out and get him in a chokehold and have him tap out, whatever it is. Like that's not the way this is going to work. You, you, it's slippery. It's deceptive. It's not like any battle you've been involved with. It's not like any wrestling match you've been involved with. 
All the intuitive ways of fighting have to be reimagined. Let me say that again, because we all look, you get wronged, something goes wrong, you hear something that that's wrong, like you have an intuitive way of like, my wrath will go, like, and I have this intuitive way of what my wrath means. And what we are hearing here is that those ways will not do. If you really want to battle, if you really want to fight, if you really want to wrestle, you have to figure out some new ways. And so what are the ways. What are we to do? We know your enemy. It's not people. Your enemy is the invisible forces, the spiritual forces. What else do we do? Well, you suit up. In the words of Captain America, do you have a suit? Then suit up, right? If you suit, you got it. You put on the armor, the full, not just the armor. Ever, elsewhere, there's like five other places in Paul's writings where he's like talks about armor, armor, armor. Here, it's not armor, it's full armor. It's full armor. We'll spend more time next week on the armor, but it's mentioned in, in 6.11, 6.13, it's full armor. This is essentially gear, the gear for battle. This is like the standard issue full gear. You think about the military, like there's standard issue, there's gear that, that soldiers are given when they go into battle, special forces are given special gear. This is the gear. This is the gear that God gives. You're going into the wrestling arena, you're going into battle, here's your gear. So put it on, suit up. 610, finally be strong in the Lord, the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. And the description will be, of a, we'll talk about it next week, but a heavily outfitted Roman soldier. In 6.13, 6.13, I think this is a great, he talks about put on the whole armor of God in 6.11 and 6.13, he says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. The imagery is that you're standing on this battlefield and God has put all the tools of the battle at your feet and Paul is saying, pick it up. Pick it up. You're going to need this stuff. This is important. Put it, pick it up, take it up, put it on. Pick up the full armor. We've got to know our enemy, and we're going to talk next week about what it looks like to put on this armor. But if there's one goal in this passage, if there's one thing that we are urged to do, if there's one thing in light of this battle that we are in, what are we, what's the goal? The expressed goal is mentioned three times in this passage, one more next week. Does anybody know what it is? What's the goal? Stand. Who said that? I see that, Julie. Stand. You know what's awesome? Talk about identity in the first half of the book, and the second half of the book is walk in a manner worthy. Now it's stand. It's time to make a stand. Stand up, stand. Stand firm, stand. Put on armor and stand. The expressed goal is to stand. Put on the whole armor of God that you may stand against the schemes of the devil. That's 6.11, 6.13. Take up the whole armor of God that you may withstand. It's the same verb. Withstand the evil day. And then having done all, to stand firm. 
Stand, stand, stand. We'll talk more about what this might look like, but standing has kind of a defensive element to it, but it also has an offensive element to it. Like when we look at the armor, there's going to be some defensive pieces of the armor, but there's also going to be times when it's like, put on your shoes and get your sword out. Those are offensive weapons. And so this idea of standing is not just, is not just defense, although part of it is that. You've got to withstand. You've got to resist. But I think one of the most awesome things about what the Apostle Paul talks about, even in the Bible, when the Bible will talk about don't do this, like a lot of people think that the, the, uh, the Christian life is a lot about don'ts. And there's a part of, my, part of me that like appreciates like, hey, stay away from this. I like the rules. The rules are helpful. Like just tell me the rules and I'll obey them, right? Like don't do this. But in the Bible, what it'll oftentimes do is say, if it ever gives you a don't do this, it'll give you do this instead, In other words, it's not just about don't do this, it's about replace this with this. Like, for example, you guys know, I think over the pandemic for me, like Philippians 4, like um, uh, this idea, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, present your request to God. Just think about that. Don't be anxious, do what instead? Present your request to God. It's like replace thinking about and worrying about stuff with just taking that opportunity and presenting it to God. Just replace. Replace. And he actually, Paul goes through this in chapter 4. He talks about don't speak falsehood, speak the truth. Replace falsehood with truth. If you're angry, look, replace that with don't let the sun go down on your anger. Like if you're angry, go to somebody and talk to them about it. If you're stealing, look, if you steal, we're going to replace that with honest labor, with honest work. In other words, you're, you're never called to just give something up. You're called to replace it, right? You replace, if you have a habit, this idea that you can take that habit and you can replace it with another one. And that's the call. That's the call that Paul is on here. That's the idea that, you, that defense, standing, stand firm, is also this idea of being offensive too. You could replace things. And so much of what Paul is talking about here, the way you stand is to walk in a manner worthy. The way you stand is you take those habits, those things that are, that are hurting, things that maybe you're struggling with, that you're wrestling with, and replace them with things that are God-honoring. So don't slander, but give thanks. Right? Replace these things. And that idea of working out a way in which you walk in a manner worthy of the gospel is you putting yourself in a in an, a defensive and offensive stance with armor on as you walk in a manner worthy. The way you stand is by walking in a manner worthy. When we go through the armor, we'll note that some pieces for the armor are for protection and defense, for the terrain of battle, the belt, the helmet, the breastplate, but other pieces are for attack, and we need to understand that as we stand, it is not just about defense, but it's also about offense. This world, and I don't mean to break this to you, but this world is not so much in support of the way God wants human thriving to happen on this earth. There's lots of different ideas about how that's going to happen. And even today, there's, there's active opposition to some of the things that God has given us for human thriving. And what the Apostle Paul says and what God provides for us is he says, well, look, I'm going to remind you you're in a battle and I'm going to give you the tools and what I want you to do is I just want you to take them up. Pick them up. Pick them up and suit up because if you're going to have any chance in this, 
You've got to have the power of God. The good news is God is ready and willing to offer you the empowerment to stand firm. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. And maybe today as you're thinking about just where you're at, and look, there are times where, um, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll just be like, man, I just, I feel like the devil's kicking my butt. You know, pardon my French, but um, th- I feel like there, there are definitely times where I'm like, look, Craig, you, you know, the devil is, I, I, I'll just admit like, okay, the devil is really has got me today or whatever it is. And that's just a, a, a point to say, okay, I'm going to note that. I'm going to note I'm in a war. I'm in a battle and I need to put on the armor and I need to go forward. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you're just like, look, the devil is, the devil is kicking my butt. And I would just say this, the first thing is just to recognize that and to say, okay, God, I recognize I am, I'm not walking in a manner worthy here. I'm, whatever it is, whether you're worried or whether you are, um, you're not walking in a manner worthy, however that might look, maybe it's slander, maybe you're saying stuff about other people like you have no business talking about, or maybe you're, maybe you're uh, I, I, there's all kinds of things. I'll let your, you know what it is. I, like, I don't need to walk through all the the roll call of sins that we, <laughs> that we could have going on. But to simply say, look, I feel like not only is this coming out of me, but there's temptation, and I don't know exactly how to get out of this, is to simply say, okay, God, I want to invite you into this, and I want you to give me a path forward. Let's just, let's pray right now. Father, perhaps, maybe there's just people here, including myself, who's just like, look, I feel like I'm, I'm just being bounced around, Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's just what you're putting before your eyes. Maybe it's anger. Whatever it is. If there's something that you just feel like, gosh, I just I don't feel like I have control over this. Like we just want to take a moment, Father, and we just want to give it to you. We know you're willing to receive it. We know that you sent your son Jesus to pay that price, to give us the freedom that we need from this. That you are willing to empower us to stand against the schemes of the devil. And so just now today, we just want to to receive that. We want to just say, Father, we will walk with you. We recognize, Jesus, that you walk with us by means of your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would Open our eyes to the spiritual world around us and that we would pray appropriately that our battle is not with the people around us, but the battle is against the spiritual forces of darkness, the interlocking directorate. And we ask, Father, that you would give us the wisdom and insight we need to walk with you and to stand. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.